0: actually fairly hard for me to get hold of specialists and get their input they do have like an an online very clunky online system where i would put through referrals to surgery or um you know different specialists but um that that process itself was clunky and time-consuming and then it would sometimes take a while to hear back. Um, Some specialists I was able to email or call and they were really communicative and amazing and other ones I literally would never hear back from.
1: Yeah, well, Um, that sounds like my experience here too.
0: (laughs) True, true, true. Welcome, everyone, to the Primary Care Podcast. We explore the world of primary care by featuring discussions with a variety of healthcare providers. And now, the host of the show, Dr. Ross Tannock.
1: Howdy, folks. October episode coming at ya. This is International Global Medicine Month all over the country. I just declared it. It is official. And this episode does not disappoint because it is with Dr. Lauren Boll, who has practiced primary care internationally and here in the States. And we'll get to hear her telling us about her experience here in a minute. First... Let me tell you all about my family medicine residency. So far, I'm about four months in my rotations this far, thus far, this far. Have been urology and then inpatient adult medicine, followed by obstetrics and postpartum care. And then the NICU, the neonatal ICU, to finish out the year. I have a couple other uh, rotations coming up. I'm back on inpatient adult medicine. And then I have a month on inpatient children's medicine at Children's Hospital. So, you know, it's kind of crazy doing all the different things, and sometimes that makes it difficult to be so varied in what you're doing and what you're learning and what you're training in, but that is Family Med Baby. What is this, my personal diary? No, we got to keep the lights on over here in Truth Be Told Studios, so we will be right back after a short commercial break from one of our valued sponsors. Hi, I'm Dr. Ross Tannock and you may know me from the Primary Care Podcast. I am proud to introduce to you Doctors Without Boundaries. Finally, doctors who provide independent, unrestrained medical assistance to anyone, including those who don't need it and those who did not ask for it. This medical care is usually coupled with an inappropriate story about the doctor's own personal life. Do you want a procedure that multiple specialists have told you that you don't need? Do you want that prescription for benzodiazepines refilled? Do you want the emotional support animal letter written so that you can waive the pet deposit fee at your new apartment? Well, welcome to Doctors Without Boundaries, the place where you can get any kind of medical care that you want. The place where boundaries are so poor that you'll find yourself hearing stories about the doctor's personal life. Stuff that you never wanted to hear and now wish you didn't. Check them out at www.doctorswithoutboundaries.com Okay now, back to the intro. Dr. Lauren Bull and I had a great chat about her global medicine experiences, I won't get into it too much here because she'll tell us all about it during the interview, but quickly she shipped off to New Zealand right after her family medicine residency and then came back to the States quite a bit later. Most of our conversation centered around her experiences there, what it was like and comparing it to healthcare in the United States and so forth. And then we wrapped up by talking about her experiences locally here in Colorado practicing full-spectrum family medicine. So let's get to it. She is a global citizen, a citizen of the world, a global citizen of the world, Dr. Lauren Bull.
0: from Tulsa Oklahoma originally Um, I actually was born abroad my dad was in the Air Force and so I had a family that had traveled quite a bit um, when I was a kid Mm -hmm. um, but did most of my growing up in Tulsa Um,
1: where were you born uh, Germany cool cool yeah did you live anywhere else too
0: no they actually moved back to the States when I was one um, but my parents had lived in um, outside of Seoul in South Korea
1: Okay, cool. And, All right. Don't Don't yeah. don't let me derail you. You uh, moved back to Tulsa <laughs> and grew up there?
0: Yeah, um, grew up there, and um, my mom was a retired nurse um, by that point. So I think maybe I had a little interest in health care there, and um, yeah. kind of where that came from, I think.
1: Yeah, very cool. What type of nursing did she do?
0: Um, she did... Like med surge in the hospital, and then ended up being the nurse for a rheumatologist. Um, so I was really passionate about like patient education in particular.
1: Cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, and so then you uh, went to med school right after college. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, I went straight through, I finished everything kind of the youngest you can be without mm-hmm. skipping a grade. Um yeah, so I went to the University of Tulsa for undergrad and then to the University of Oklahoma um, for med school.
1: Okay. And at the time yeah. when you were in medical school and residency, did you envision the career that you have now or was that kind of just a, a work in progress at all times?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think I wanted... Um, to do primary care, even if I didn't actually have the right terminology for family medicine. Right. Um, So, you know, the more I got into it, I cared about prevention, you know, getting to know people, being there for them throughout their lives, um, you know, trying to make an impact um, versus like a surgical specialty, for example. Um, And then I, I think obviously once I got to residency, toward the end of med school, I had a better um, defined idea of what I wanted. And so I do think when I was in residency, I knew I wanted to keep working with underserved populations, um, like globally diverse populations and try to do some academic work as well. So I'd say, well, I may not have envisioned exactly what I'm doing. It was, it's pretty close. Yeah.
1: Very cool. And so you mentioned uh, just academic work and you went to a big academic center for residency. Right. Um, Can you talk about that experience? Because that's not my experience. I'm at a smaller community program. Um, What was that experience just like in general doing family med residency at a big academic center? And then is it possible to compare to maybe your perception of what other types of residencies might be like, such as a rural or community-based residency?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, You know, I when I was looking at a program... um, I kind of wanted something that was the best of both worlds. And I personally think I found that in the CU program. Um, And the reason for that is that you work at um, the CU Anschutz Hospital, which is a huge tertiary care center, academic center. But then you also work at Denver Health um, as more of a community safety net hospital system. And then I had my um, main clinic at the Denver Health Lowry Clinic, which is an FQHC um, again, more based in the community. And so I felt like I was able to get kind of both of those um, almost into the spectrum of our healthcare system and my training and experience all of that, which I really liked. And I wanted to also have the academic institution where I could explore like research interests or have faculty to support me in different interests. Um, and CU definitely has that with a really big, um, you know, productive, robust department, um, which was great. Um, and then ultimately I, I do know that, uh, a big concern is being in a opposed versus unopposed program, um, mm-hmm. for a lot of learners. And I personally felt like I still got to do a lot of different procedures. Some of that I chose to be in our OB um, obstetrical track. So I did a rotation at a community hospital at St. A's, um, St. Anthony's North, um, to do more deliveries and C-sections. So that helped me get higher numbers there. And then like I was able to get, you know, a bunch of art lines and central lines and things in the MICU, um, and still had a good, uh, procedure experience, but I do think you have to work a little harder than maybe at a community program.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my vibe as well. Um, you mentioned your academic interests and them being supported. Um, you know, you practice full spectrum, uh, primary care and family medicine Mm -hmm. now. Um, and, it sounds like that was supported in just the way you're just talking about getting procedures and getting yeah. uh, deliveries, that sort of thing. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show was to talk about global health because you um, did practice abroad for uh, at least a little while. Um, was that um, were, were those opportunities, like global health opportunities, available for you? Was that something that you even knew you wanted to do at that time? Um, and how did that play out for you in terms of graduating from residency and then going off uh, abroad?
0: Sure. Um, I think it is something I knew I was interested in. Um, I had studied abroad back in college in Ecuador and um, learned most of my Spanish there. Um, And so I had that kind of interest and had been part of certain global health endeavors in undergrad as well as medical school and pretty involved in our global health groups and medical schools. So that was something that I did want. And that's one reason actually I chose our program, um, because I was able to work at a clinic with primarily immigrant and refugee patients at Lowry, um, where it's like 60% non-English, non-Spanish speaking, um, very high refugee population. So I felt like I got that people use the term global, so global, local, um, exposure. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, I, I did want to keep doing, um, work abroad. And so I um, went to Guatemala, which is a rotation opportunity for us as a third year resident and spent a month down there at a clinic that actually was, um, co-developed with in partnership with CU. And then I also ended up applying to the AFP, um, They have a Center for Global Health Initiatives Advisory Board, and I applied to be the resident on that board when I was a second year. So I was on that my second and third year of residency, and that was a really amazing opportunity. I got to be really involved um, with the AFP Global Health Summit, um, which is a conference they put on every year. Um, I got to go to Wonka, which a lot of people don't know what Wonka is. I'm not sure if you're familiar.
1: No, it's not ringing a bell.
0: All right, Great. This is important for people to know. So Wonka is the World Organization of Family Medicine um, Doctors.
1: Okay.
0: The acronym stands for something I always forget. <laughs> okay. um, but um, it's really cool. It's, so it's like the global organization of family medicine, um, and they do a ton of work around advocacy, not just for primary care globally, but in particular family medicine to be the specialty to meet that need. Mm-hmm. Um and I was able to go to their conference. They hold a, a world conference. It's every two to three years. And I was able to go to the one in Seoul, South Korea, when I was a resident. And I refer to it as the Olympics of family medicine because that's people from literally every country. there representing family medicine and primary care and learning from each other. Um, and that was just one of the most amazing opportunities I got um, in my training.
1: Yeah, wow, that's really cool. So. Um, yeah. Wow, those are uh, amazing opportunities to have while you're in residency. Most people probably barely leave the city that they're in. Um, and then you got to go to Guatemala for a month, you said, and then this conference in, in South Korea as well. Yeah. Um, uh, that and I'm also aware that, you know, you talked about practicing with uh, Denver Health during your residency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um in what way does that kind of play into the, the global nature of medicine, um, just treating a lot of patients from, uh, um, you know, uh, Hispanic countries, Spanish-speaking, um, Central and South America and Mexico. Uh, um, we have a lot of population here in Denver uh, right. of those patients. Um, did that – did you feel like that was a adequate um, global medicine um, – uh, experience for you just having continuity with those patients?
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely was really helpful. Um, and actually, to clarify, my practice as a resident was more patients from Africa, Southeast Asia, oh, okay. um, and, and with our refugee population. So, um, and in the Middle East, I should say, as well. Um, so, uh, it was rare actually that I, not rare, but less common that I got to use my Spanish as a resident in my clinic because it was a 60% non-English, not Spanish. So there were a bunch of other languages being spoken, um, which was a really great opportunity. And so I learned a lot about the refugee resettlement process, as well as, um, like refugee, as well as recommended immigrant screening labs from the CDC and feel like I somewhat know those like off the back of my hand now, um, and am able to implement that uh, pretty comfortably now in my practice um, and see that a lot of people who are from Central South America, Mexico, who do need these labs have never had them done and kind of able to catch that and then catch and treat their latent TB, for example, um, on a pretty frequent basis.
1: Really, wow. Yeah, Yeah. what an amazing way to kind of just um, practice global medicine locally. Um, you know, right. not even going abroad, but dealing with a lot of global health issues just here yeah. in, uh, you know, Colorado.
0: Yeah. And I should make one distinction, which is I do think caring for refugees and immigrants is different than working globally in a different setting. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the principles and the the training in terms of like infectious diseases and things that you're screening and treating um, do kind of translate across those different Spectrums, but some people are very particular about making a distinction about them. So
1: yeah, no. Just that, to
0: clarify that, I'm not trying to equate them at all.
1: That is but, a fair point. Can you highlight some of yeah. the differences between uh, global medicine practicing abroad and then caring for a yeah. refugee population locally here in uh, in the states? Yeah.
0: I mean, I think it all depends on what your practice setting is, and so you know, working at a, a I'd say a very well resourced overall institution like Denver Health with great specialty access and, um, you know, using our EMR system and all these other supports I had is very different than when I'm working in the clinic in Guatemala where it's handwritten notes and there are specialists, but, you know, it's kind of a hodgepodge making phone calls um, to ones in town and trying to negotiate prices and You know, there's only a few labs you can do on site and just a lot of different, um, you know, lower resource limitations, um, as well as more, I think, cultural things are at play and language things are at play regardless, but that much more so when you're in the country um, and you are the one trying to engage with their medical system and understand how you can fit into that and learn from them versus when people might be coming to our system and it's a little bit more us trying to bring them into how we do things, if that makes sense well, of course, respecting cultural differences and different ideas regarding healthcare.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. And so you um, talked about going a couple of different places, but we really haven't talked about um, what you did right after residency. I yeah. believe it was right after residency, but it was, tell, yeah. tell me that story about um, what, what you did right after residency and um, what that was like.
0: Sure. So I And when I was a third year resident, you know, kind of prepping for the end and graduation, was trying to decide between doing a fellowship in global health um, and then going and working in New Zealand, which I had heard about a little bit through the grapevine from some other um, physicians or, you know, friends of friends of friends who had done that. And I had, you know, heard great things about it. And so I ended up, you know, talking to some different mentors and thankfully all of them advised me just to go to New Zealand while I still could. And I had the chance. Um, So I was able to go live and work there for a little over a year, um, conveniently from the end of 2019 into almost all of 2020.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. So it was 2019. uh, What was the amount of time that you were there total?
0: Um, About 13 months.
1: Very cool. And, and how yeah. much of a culture shock would you say it was, uh, to live and work there?
0: Um, living there's very little culture shock. I think mostly learning to drive on the other side of the road and the other side of the car, um, right. cer- certain phrases that you learn, um, and what they mean. Um, uh, but otherwise a, a lot of that culture is very similar overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think working there, um, you know, I, perhaps was a little foolish immediately out of pretty much immediately out of residency going down. I was a solo GP where I worked, so I didn't have any actual physician colleagues like who worked for the same company with me in the building. Um, and I was having to learn, you know, different lab value units and everything. So a lot of like normal ranges were all different. Mm -hmm. The whole healthcare system's different. Um, But I so it was a challenge, but um, but one that I enjoyed and one that was fun to kind of figure out and again, learn how I can fit into their system and adapt what I feel like is, quote unquote, normal um, and address that to what's their normal.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and you mentioned that as a challenge, just learning the new system, learning those little different details. Um, But tell us what was your practice like? You mentioned you were a solo Mm -hmm. practitioner. What was your practice like? What was the population you were working with and what were some of the big challenges, you know, working with the population on on top of what you already uh, kind of uh, just told us?
0: Yeah. Um, So I uh, lived in a town of about 80,000 people, which is a respectable city size for New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Um, But I worked in a town that was about 3000 people about 20 minutes away. Um, So it was, I'd say like a semi rural setting, um, and I, like I mentioned, was a solo GP. There were two other doctors in the building, but um, we all worked for different companies each. Um, and I had a population primarily of, I'm gonna say adults and elderly individuals, um, mostly like farmers, construction workers, um, lumber workers as well. And um, unfortunately very few kids um, just because of the way the, the um, visits get done there. And I had about 1,800 patients and I worked four days a week. So if we think about like panel sizes in the US, it was a very high panel size um, for my essentially FTE that I had there.
1: Yeah, okay. And so um, (laughs) what, and you mentioned that you didn't, uh, I I think you mentioned before we actually had the mics Mm -hmm. rolling um, that you didn't care for a lot of the Maori population, the indigenous population of New Mm -hmm. Zealand. Um, but that is a significant, you know, part of, uh, the population of New Zealand. And, yeah. um, did, did you find that, uh, you had that, that the, that population has s- similar issues, uh, health issues and access to healthcare as the indigenous people of North America have, or is that just a totally separate mm-hmm. issue? That's kind of not really comparable
0: yeah, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned, just where I was located, um, there there is not a very large Maori population in um, Taranaki in a new, the New Plymouth area, which is where I was working. Um, geographically, there's more like in the upper parts of the North Island and the um, eastern parts of the North Island. Um, so that was part of the reason I didn't see as many patients um, of Maori mm-hmm. descent. Um, but in general, I would say, unfortunately, they, as well as Pacific Islander um, communities, which there's a lot in New Zealand, suffer from very high rates of different metabolic syndromes, so, of you know, obesity, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, um, heart disease, high cholesterol, um, which are also similar things that, you know, affect the Native American population here. Um... I would say they unfortunately also have disproportionately worse health outcomes compared to um, the white or they use the term pakia, um, which is like the New Zealand white Europeaner mm-hmm. um, individuals. Um, however, there is a lot of focus on that and um, reducing those disparities and increasing equity um, across New Zealand. And so I think those efforts are probably even further now than when I was there, but there's a lot of focus on it. Um, and a lot of intentionality. Um, And some Maori, um, you know, they live totally within the the other community, um, the general community versus here we have reservations. Um, There are some areas that are kind of Maori land that you might equate. um, And there are also like clinics that primarily serve Maori populations. So I think there is some similarity there, um, uh, but a little bit different as well. Yeah, not quite as I would say they're not quite as remote or removed as I think of Native American reservations of being.
1: Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the insight there. I know you didn't work with uh, that population a ton, so sure. it's. Uh, but it's good to have the info from somebody who's been there and and worked, overseas. Um, so yeah. speaking of that, can kind of similar question? Can you compare just the whole healthcare system. I know that's a, this is going to be a big topic, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll take a, a bite, bite at it at a time, but just comparing the healthcare system in New Zealand to the healthcare system in the United States. And, and feel free to just talk about that through your experience and through your lens. You don't have to talk about every, uh, you know, policy that's different there sure. than here.
0: Right. Right. So, um, New Zealand has a, a universal, um, system where everyone essentially has health insurance through the government. Um, they're also very generous. So I had a two year visa and with my two year visa, I qualified for that as well. So my taxes, you know, helped cover that for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so essentially everyone who's a New Zealand citizen, permanent resident or certain visa holders is, is eligible for that and covered. Um, interestingly enough, they, um, this is actually kind of similar to the UK. A lot of things are similar in New Zealand to the UK, um, I think for obvious reasons because they're part of the Commonwealth. But um, they have all their hospitals and their um, specialists are all part of district health boards that are all run under the Ministry of Health and the government. And the GPs or the general practitioners in primary care are actually private clinics or you know uh, healthcare organizations running clinics. That get their funding from the government um, but patients actually pay a small copay to come see them um, which is different than in the uk where it's totally free um, so it's kind of interesting i actually um, people had to pay to come see me and i knew exactly how much it cost them versus in the u.s i never know exactly what someone's copay or different hidden fees are with all their cumbersome insurance companies um, but that's kind of how it's structured so seeing your gp there is a fee associated with that and then getting any kind of hospital emergency care is totally free um, versus, you know, the U S where everything is very expensive and our insurance is tied to employment. Um,
1: yeah. Do you in find Oh, uh,
0: sorry. sorry. I was
1: just going to ask <laughs> about the kind of emergency care, because if it's all free and you're not paying a copay for, you know, to use the emergency room and right. uh, is there an incentive to, not go to the emergency room if you don't need to or are people overusing it does it does that aspect uh, do affect the psychology or the behavior of the population yeah. uh, if you know
0: that's a good question I don't think so just based on you know my number of patients who would go to the ER um, uh, it felt like they actually have a pretty good sense of knowing that the ER is for more significant things. They do have urgent cares as well. Like we do, mm-hmm. um, and after hour options, um, and, um, I think overall we're able to get in pretty quickly to see a GP. And so I actually feel like they probably do a better job of utilizing it appropriately, perhaps because they have higher rates of insurance, um, than in the States.
1: Mm-hmm. You're saying But higher... I don't
0: have stats to back that up at all.
1: Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, yeah. You're saying that they have higher rates of insurance, meaning people being insured. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. And, you know, it makes sense that it's that sort of behavior is a mm-hmm. cultural thing. It's, uh, you know, certain places will just have a culture where they're going to use the emergency room a lot. And that's the right. thing to do. It, um, and maybe it's a, an uh, ugly American and I deserve to be uh, treated right now for the smallest little thing. Uh,
0: maybe,
1: maybe it's, you know, bigger than that or a a deeper, uh, psychology than that, but it's interesting that you, there's not really a, a clear, direct, uh, immediate incentive not to, but yet there, uh, but like you're saying, it's easier to see a, uh, general practitioner. So thus more people probably do.
0: I should add one caveat, which is my clinic, again, was about a 20, 25-minute drive to the nearest hospital. And so I think sometimes people just didn't want to make that drive and would prefer to come see me in person the next day. Oh.
1: For sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so in terms of just kind of c- continuing the comparison between mm-hmm. New Zealand and the United States healthcare system... Um, are there any other big differences or um, obvious similarities that are worth pointing out?
0: Yeah, I, I think the the way they structure it is is very different. Um, the fact that everyone has access um, and coverage is obviously very different as well. Um, within that, that creates, I think, a very different mental shift. And so, I think they have structured it in such a way that they're very um, cognizant of how they utilize physician time. And so for example, I mentioned I didn't get to see any kids. That's because I would see a baby when they're six weeks old once the midwife was done taking care of them and the mom. And then presuming everything's fine, they just get all their developmental screenings and vaccines from like a community-based nurse run center so they would never come to me for something like a well child check or physical. That's just not how it's done there. Okay. Um, so that was, that's one example. Similarly, um, I unfortunately didn't get to provide any prenatal care there, do any kind of deliveries. And that's because they make it a entirely midwife and then OB run system. So midwives handle all the lower risk, um, They will take care of the mom and baby for six weeks postpartum. And then OB obviously handles higher risk. Um, Both of them work in hospitals and do deliveries there. Mm -hmm. And so there's actually, you know, if someone was pregnant, I would say kind of, bye, I'll see you six weeks postpartum and you're under the midwife's care for now, which um, I personally didn't enjoy. But I do think it makes sense in terms of setting up a system where you're being efficient and who's providing care to who.
1: Mm -hmm. for what reason so so they they can't see you because the the insurance doesn't cover it um basically no like
0: gps gps don't provide prenatal care in new zealand you're not you're not allowed to it's not part of your role
1: i see it's just not within the scope of practice is what you're saying
0: yeah you're not licensed to do that there
1: interesting do you know if um if somebody who's studying family med or you know in a residency in family med in new zealand are they getting prenatal care uh and you know full spectrum family medicine or is it more like general medicine um like an internal medicine kind of residency where they're not caring for pregnant and and children and right uh prenatal care
0: that's a good question i think it's almost more kind of med peds like if you will in terms like they get kids and adults, they might have, I think they might have some in, um, time on like OB floors with prenatal care and deliveries, I believe, but mm-hmm. it's just not something that they're actually doing day to day. And uh, yeah, so they're kind of set up in terms of their training differently. My experience was variable. Like some of, I actually taught some of the little bit um, more established GPs there, how to do IUD insertions. Cause they'd never learned that before, but we're trying to like increase their women health procedure um, ability so they could bring that care into the community. Um, So it's just kind of variable, but those were UK and New Zealand trained physicians um, that I was working with.
1: Got it. Um, I remember when we were chatting prior to the podcast, um, you were telling me about a, um, a initiative for colon cancer screening and colon cancer (laughs) prevention. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? And I think you believe, I believe you said that there was a lack of colon cancer screening in New Zealand, but they were kind of working on it through a a nationwide initiative. Um, Right. Tell us about that.
0: Sure. Um, So before I talk about the colon cancer, I will just mention that they do, I think, a really good job in terms of their breast cancer screening as well as cervical cancer screening. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because of how it's run so instead of coming to see me and I order a mammogram or you know do a pap smear for you they have a district health born excuse me district health board run um, uh, you know list of people throughout different districts and they know when you need a mammogram and they will just mail out your letter and i can't remember if they actually just schedule it for you or mail your letter saying the call but basically you just get told like it's time for a mammogram it's already been ordered for you get this done all outside of the realm of your pcp or gp okay and same thing with the what they would call a cervical smear the nurse from my clinic had a registry of our patients who needed them She did them herself. She called and got them in. And so I, that's another way of freeing up your physician time that I didn't get, I didn't do pap smears at all. Um, It just wasn't part of my day-to-day. And when you think about it, we really don't need to be the ones doing a pap smear. It's not, you know, it's not super challenging or requiring a particular skill if you're trained to do them. Um, So contrast that to the fact that colon cancer, as they would call it, bowel cancer is the number one, um, leading, uh, cancer, um, death, um, in New Zealand. And they, when I got there, this is different now, but they didn't have any kind of like FOBT or fit screening program. Um, where I worked was a more rural region or state. Um, so there were only a handful of people who did colonoscopies and the wait list for colonoscopy was super long. Um, even if you had, you know, concerning symptoms, anemia, bleeding, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And so screening colonoscopy really wasn't very common unless you had private insurance and went that route. So thankfully they were getting fit tests when I was there. COVID delayed the rollout, but I'm pretty sure they've rolled them out now and are trying to get that screening program going, which is good.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. I mean, I know uh, you're saying it kind of a little bit relies on the amount of resources in a certain area Mm -hmm. or, uh, or just in the country itself, but um, that they were so on top of certain types of cancer screening and lagging a little bit behind in others. But I'm sure you could point to examples here where we're on top of something and not a very on top of a related subject for sure. Sure. Um, Okay, great. Well, let's uh, keep it rolling. And, um, Actually, just to kind of cap that off, any other um, yeah. things that you kind of thought were just uh, either super uh, incredible advantages of that healthcare system versus big detriments to that healthcare yeah. system? I know a lot of people talk about, you know, the good and bad things on both sides, depending on which way you're trying to argue. Um, yeah, of course. Is there any. Um, Way that you like to think about that, either specific things or big kind of conceptual topics?
0: Yeah, um, I would say one challenge I found was that I that you're expected to see a higher volume of patients. So I was scheduled 24 patients a day as opposed to, I don't know, 20 to 22 here, mm-hmm. or maybe a little less, depending on where you work. Um, I did not have any kind of medical assistant. My team was me, a nurse and a front desk uh, member mm-hmm. um, each day. So there's like three of us essentially running this ship. And my nurse was busy generally doing her own procedures, um, doing lab draws for patients. Um, she would do like an EKG for me, but otherwise I had to, if I wanted vitals, I got vitals. If I wanted a UA, a urine pregnancy test, if I wanted to send someone home with a little like collections uh, thing for a stool, I had to do all that myself within 15 minutes. Um, it's, it was a lot. Um, so I found that to be really challenging. I think when you're trained in that system, you get a little bit better about you get one thing and like being efficient in that, um, versus I think we're trained to kind of do CYA medicine and be super thorough and they just have a better sense of imbalance of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that, that was something that was challenging for me. Um, one of the other things is that where I worked, um, and I think this is uh, true in general, because you're not in an integrated health system with specialists, like I'm fortunate to be part of at Denver Health, um, it was actually fairly hard for me to get hold of specialists and get their input. They do have like an a, an online, very clunky online system where I would put through referrals to surgery or, um, you know, different specialists. But um, that that process itself was clunky and time-consuming, and then it would sometimes take a while to hear back. Um, some specialists I was able to email or call, and they were really communicative and amazing, and other ones I literally would never hear back from. Yeah, well, um, that sounds like and, my
1: experience here, too. So. <laughs> true,
0: true, true. Um, but for example, there was no neurologist in the region I was in, no hematologist, um, no rheumatologist, and they would all travel, and once a like a day once a month and see the patients they needed to see and then otherwise they were to varying degrees available via like a clunky e-consult or phone um and so just as a gp that was very challenging because i had to do a lot more on my own than i was used to doing here had been trained for so i was expected to titrate seizure medications manage things like methotrexate for like rheumatoid arthritis Um, cardiology started a patient on something called perhexaline, which is an anti-inginal drug that we do not use anymore in the States because it can cause liver um, toxicity. And I just had a, you know, one line buried in an ER discharge summary that was like perhexaline started per cardiology, PCP to titrate and monitor per protocol. And I had moment moment of like, well, what the blank is that? How do I do this? You know, scrambling. Um, and so I think that's just an example of some of those challenges. Um, but there are definitely a lot of positives. I think the the health outcomes are better than the US um, despite the things that we've gone over um, and potential wait times for specialists. um, And they spend less money on it because they're conscientious with how they do everything. um, And in particular drug pricing, which I think is impressive. One of my favorite things working there is that they have a group that's called Pharmac And it's a national group who decides what's gonna be on New Zealand's formulary of medications. And they negotiate the prices with different companies, usually for very low prices. And then from my end, there's a website and I could see what's on the formulary, if it needed any special requirements. It was very clear there was a super easy form embedded in my EMR to get that approved. Um, so there was nothing like a par prior auth that I needed to do. No confusion between all these different insurances and what they cover. Um, and it kept costs down. So in New Zealand, your copay for a med is five New Zealand dollars, which is about three us dollars. And they cap your spending at a hundred New Zealand dollars a year, which is about like 65 to 70 bucks, Um, Okay. which is really amazing considering how much, you know, we as Americans spend on pharmaceuticals. Um, that just continually impressed me when I was working there.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So that all stems from the, um, government negotiating the, uh, prices of drugs from the companies that provide them.
0: Right. Yep. Um, they negotiate it all. And if something's too expensive, you know, they won't necessarily take it. They'll look at the pros versus the cons, um, Mm-hmm. I will say that means they're often a little bit behind. So when I was there, they did not have any SGLT2s or GLP-1s, which are now more common diabetes medications. Yeah, They were just getting an SGLT2 as I was leaving. And so sometimes they're, you know, a few years behind um, in terms of more, you know, first line new medications that we might use here in the States. But you can't argue with better outcomes for less money as well.
1: So, yeah, no, that is impressive. Um yeah. And it's also, it sounds like the price for each medication was known beforehand. Is that right? By you, you and by the patient.
0: So the price doesn't fluctuate. It's $5 until you've paid your 100 total for the year. And then it's $0. Oh, wow.
1: Okay. Yeah, you said that, yeah. but I didn't quite understand. Yeah,
0: it's, yeah it's a little mind boggling. But um, yeah.
1: So it's just $3 a medication. Basically. Wow. And then does it, does does that vary right until you hit a hundred bucks or 60 or $70 U.S.? Um, Does that vary by how much medication that you're taking? If I'm taking a a med, you know, once a day versus you're taking it three times a day, does it, it's still just, if you fill it, it's three bucks or five, five New Zealand dollars. And
0: kids under 13, their meds are totally free.
1: This is incredible. You're kind of blowing my mind. <laughs> I know,
0: yet. I know.
1: All right. Well, I can't. I can't afford to have my mind blown anymore. Let's <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about. Because you mentioned just as you were leaving, they were getting SGLT two uh, inhibitor. Um, can you talk about the transition back home uh, to the United States? Um, yeah. What did that look like leaving there and coming back home? Was there a reverse culture shock and was it difficult sure. to kind of come back and set up your more permanent practice?
0: Sure. Do you mind if I tell you one other thing that I think will surprise you?
1: Oh, please. All right. Blown my or you mind you might find again. interesting. Yeah.
0: I just think this is really cool. New Zealand has something. Um, it's the accident. Yeah. Um, I always mess up the acronym, but it's the ACC. It's like the Accident Compensation Corporation or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the gist of it is that any kind of accident that anyone is in in New Zealand is essentially covered by the government in this program. So, you know, if you came down there and you were hiking or skiing and you fall into your ACL, the ACC is going to pay for your urgent care ER visit. They're going to make a case for an ACC claim. They're going to pay for an MRI for you. They're going to pay for you to see orthopedic. They're going to pay for your physio, as they would say, or your PT. They're going to pay for time off work if you need to be off work. Um, It was just this really amazing system. And it's the same for like a car accident. And so their auto insurance rates are really low because they're only covering for like body work of cars. They're not covering anyone's medical outcomes from an accident. Um, And I just thought that was amazing but also the fact that it applies to like tourists or literally anyone who's just there is really impressive um and it's something that i continually was surprised by um and new zealanders love to complain about the system like it was bad and i'd had to pause and be like no 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 you <laughs> yeah, don't understand like don't how amazing how this good is you
1: have it yeah yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I I don't really quite understand where all this money comes from <laughs> in the government. I don't. Does New yeah. Zealand have a lot of exports uh, other than wool? Uh, I don't. I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. Some fruit and uh, <laughs> and tourism for sure. But um, but I guess that'll have to be an, another topic for another episode. Is I how how so. do governments actually get the money to uh, invest so heavily in healthcare maybe it uh, yeah. I maybe will say
0: their taxes are higher but but it's more complicated than that I think.
1: Right, right. Well, yeah. um okay, let's talk about uh leaving sure. leaving the glory yeah. land and coming back to the homeland.
0: <laughs> um yeah, so coming back I I think when I came back was during COVID and as many people might remember New Zealand did a really great job of um completely shutting down walking down the country pretty intensively and then just not having COVID um, really for pretty much most of 2020 after about middle of May.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so for me, my my biggest culture shock was coming back to a place with COVID and to a place where just generally people were more accustomed to it, to varying levels of still caring or not caring at all about it um, and coming from a place where it was like a really, really big deal if you you know anyone had COVID or you heard about a case. So that was the harder thing for me. I think once I got back settled into practicing here, um, I honestly was grateful to be back in a system. And instead of complaining about um, the U S healthcare system, I'll be honest, I felt a lot of appreciation because I had fewer patients a day. I had a medical assistant, I had integrative behavioral health and substance counseling, and just all of these supports were back in place and specialist access that I didn't have there. And so, um, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Perhaps, um, I was able to see that, um, there were a lot of positives to practicing here. Um, and that I was grateful to come back to that.
1: Yeah, I bet. Um, you know, yeah. just, especially just practicing in a different environment, like being in a city versus being super rural. I know that can be a, right. a, a big difference that you kind of spoke to a, a little bit earlier. Um, right. Okay, so what what's your practice like now you practice it seems like to me from just knowing a little bit about you that you're practicing Mm -hmm. full spectrum family medicine and cradle to grave delivering babies um, and doing so um, in uh, in Denver with a um, Spanish speaking population as well Mm -hmm. that we kind of alluded to earlier but uh, tell me about your practice.
0: Yeah, so I work at one of Denver Health's um, community clinics. It's an FQHC or a federally qualified health center. Um, so I take care of mostly like Medicaid, Medicare and, and uninsured patients. Um, and I do have a very large percentage now of sp- Spanish speaking patients from Mexico and Central and South America, um, uh, which is really rewarding. And then, as you mentioned, I do OB um, deliveries at the hospital. I also do adult family medicine. Um, and yeah, do, um, trans, um, care and gender affirming, um, hormone treatment, um, do substance treatment. So trying to do a little bit of everything, um, and enjoying that.
1: That's awesome. Do you envision that to be your, you know, permanent career here, or do you envision, uh, further global health experiences, either, you know, long-term or just, uh, kind of mission trips, um, or how do you envision the rest of your career playing out?
0: Yeah, so I, um, I definitely envision, like, remaining on faculty with the University of Colorado and working at Denver Health in an FQHC setting. I think it's a, a unique way to get to um, spend your time and your days, and I feel really fortunate to have, you know, my hand in the pot of academics and residency work as well as FQHC community um, work. And um, to speak to that a little bit more, I actually did a fellowship in global health over this past year that finished in June of 2022. Um, and now I'm working to get a global health like concentration or track going for our residents. And so my intention is to shift some of my focus to like resident education and global health and also Representing family medicine and um, broader global health conversations and work on the CU campus. And then I'm hoping to still get to go to Guatemala with our residents. I went down as a fellow this past um, spring. And that's something I'm hoping to um, continue to help like oversee and be engaged with as well.
1: Super cool. All right, kind of big conceptual question. If you could kind of uh, make any big changes to the healthcare system, or or if there are any healthcare system changes that you kind of see coming in the future, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on that. Um, if there yeah. was a way that you might want to blend in the in a hypothetical world, you know, some things that you've yeah. seen globally versus things that you've seen here, what would be your kind of uh, um, you know uh, ideal situation?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, um, I'll i be honest, before I went to New Zealand, I was very gung-ho, you know, Medicare for all, we need universal health coverage, which I still think we need. Um, I will say working there and the experience there just gave me the a, a slightest pause in the sense of it's not a panacea. Um, health care, there are issues with every health system, you know, around the world. People love to complain about their health system around the world, Um regardless of how good or how bad it is. And so just that knowledge that I I think we do need to move to a universal system. I hope that we can get there where we have a universal coverage, you know, I'd say at the minimum for us citizens, but I would hope it's more expansive than that. Um, and perhaps something like a Medicare for all. Um, and I, I really feel like that's where the tide is going. I don't know when it'll happen or how, um, the other thing I, I envision is obviously us keeping private insurance. Um, so that you do kind of have something, again, similar to New Zealand with the backing of a basic um, universal coverage, but the option for private for faster access. Um, so that's what I see coming down the line. I really hope that we can continue to to negotiate drug prices better and have drug price caps, um, copay caps on them. Um, I don't think what's been done legislatively this past summer is nearly enough, even though it's progress. And so I'm hoping we can start to mirror other countries that do a heck of a lot better job of that than we do.
1: I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, I'll let you go because uh, we're getting down to the wire here and just in terms of uh, how long I was planning on keeping you on the call. So I really appreciate your your time and, uh, and uh, such an interesting experience that you've had um, all throughout your career. So uh, I'll let you go and thank you so much for being on the show.
0: All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Alright, everyone, thank you for making it to the end of the app. It was a great app. I quite enjoyed talking to Global Citizen of the World, Dr. Lauren Bull. I don't know why I'm so enamored with that malapropism, the Global Citizen of the World thing. I find it humorous. I think I stole it from Bill Nye, the science guy, circa 1997 or so. And, uh, have been keeping it in my pocket ever since and here it is two appearances in this episode so thank you bill nye shout out to bill nye and the bill nye the science Guys show shout out to all of you for listening thank you for listening and i will see you on the next episode i just add a little pizzazz you know what i'm saying This was the universe, and it bloomed in birth, the moon and the earth. Nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves. It was a fight for survival. Many died, though. Friends were formed to fight mutual rivals, man and woman appeared. They realized there was a thing called love, bringing joy into their lives. Boom, they were civilized, went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne. Built empires, and the story's well known. History ticks along like a metronome. And then I came to be, learned to walk, talk, and throw stuff all grown up. I got a job now and showing up. I'm sleep deprived, I'm misaligned. My appetite is primed to feed the ego almost all the time. And then I met you, lovely and smooth, you quickly removed. My modern man's blues, I wanna celebrate every breath that I take. Cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming and I don't wanna wait. So baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. The universe was my universe. But I left to pursue the search of love But sometimes it hurt along the way If there's anything I've learned Create a garden, plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain as I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder am I the hunted or the hunter When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said, hey baby, instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasin? Stop, begin, let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch, don't sprint it's slow protect your soul travel long and far but make sure to come home because the love that's here is what keeps you going and gives you the power and the freedom to grow let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress this life is crazy but it's the goddamn best when life gets complex don't think just do it first it was simpler when the uterus was so open. baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know the uterus was my universe the uterus was my universe conversation and information you. exchange is contained in the podcast is intended for educational and entertainment, and entertainment and purposes only and, on and should not be confused with medical treatment nurse, advice or, or direction nothing on the podcast should supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers, caretakers. The although the guests on the show are board certified and licensed physicians they're not functioning as physicians in this environment and no doctor-patient relationship is formed so let a hold of your body mind and soul and forever